So we prepare to look at and listen to God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We pray that as we look at your word together, that you would speak to our hearts. Challenge us, O oh God, to move from where we are right now to where it is you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of today's message is Hiding in the Heart, Racism and Prejudice. You know, we have witnessed more types of upheaval and trauma in our lives resulting from back-to-back incidents and crises in the last few months than many have seen in a lifetime. The worldwide pandemic of the coronavirus and the tragic death of George Floyd, along with the river of consequences flowing from both of these events, have left us confused, some angry, some upset, some fearful, and some of us prayerful. We are looking for leaders who can lift us beyond the violence and beyond the tension uh, of our day. And there are some leaders already claiming they have a plan to lead us to a better place if we would just vote for them. But somehow their promises have an empty, shallow ring about them. The protests, the marches, the rioting and looting, and the prayer vigils, they have called us all to look again at the racial divide that separates us. Many times we are often wondering, how did we get here? And what is it that we should be doing to move forward? The tragic death of George Floyd makes us ask the question, how did we get to this place at this time in history? After all, it is 2020. How could Derek Chauvin place his knee on a man's neck for nearly nine minutes, choking the very essence of life out of him? How could fellow officers, Thou, Thomas Lane, and Alexander Kuning, all Milwaukee police officers, participate in this arrest with their actions and live with themselves. Now, many of us have come to the conclusion that systematic racism and institutionalized racism are at the heart of this crisis as though institutions and systems are somehow inherently evil. I think we miss something, though, if that's as far back as we are willing to peel back the layers to see what is really happening here. You see, I believe if you had have seen Derek, Tao, Thomas, or Alexander the day before all of this happened, they would have looked very much just like you and me. The same kind of conversations that took place in our homes probably took place in theirs. They have family members that they love and family members that love them and they probably have some of the dreams of getting ahead that we have. I sincerely doubt if they woke up that morning thinking, my goal today is to arrest and participate in the killing 
of a man of some color. But you see, my friends, the evil was lurking inside of them, but it was hiding in their hearts, waiting for a chance to manifest itself. And we do ourselves a grave injustice if we refuse to recognize the same evil is also hiding somewhere in our hearts. Though we may envision a place in which everybody is treated equally, I want you to know that there is a place on this planet where that exists, but it's not out there in the future. It's back there in the past. There is only one place on earth where everybody is treated equally at all times, regardless of their race, their ethnicity, their sex, their age. And that's at the foot of the cross of Jesus at Calvary. Everyone there recognizes they are a sinner in need of a Savior who can change their hearts. They all recognize they are in need of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness. And they recognize they cannot do anything about it. There is no privilege of any kind at the foot of the cross. As many wonder, what can they do and who should they listen to in order for us to move forward? There is a voice that's silently calling out to every person of every race, of every nationality, of every age. And it says, come, follow me. And that invitation comes from Jesus. But the invitation to come comes with a price. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever's willing to lose their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There's a very interesting verse in the Bible that shows up early in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 2. And people are sort of following around Jesus. And out of nowhere, the verse says, But Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew what was inside of a person. We want to believe that only evil people commit evil acts. We even lift them to the status, oh, they, they did that because they were demonic. They did that because they were psychotic. They did that because they were insane. But I ask you, what really is on the inside of a person? What are we all really capable of? Let me get personal for a moment. Have you ever thought of doing something evil that you never would actually do but the thought did pop up in your mind why do you think you thought that thought 
Again, even though we like to think of ourselves as having good moral hearts, God's view of the human heart is that it is wicked and full of deceit. We need to realize that, yes, we too really are capable of putting our knee down until it snuffs out the life of another. Wickedness and deceit is part of the spiritual DNA of every human being. And we take it with us into everything that we build, everything we create, everything we organize, and everything we attempt to develop. This is how our institutions and our organizations and associations become corrupt. They are made by corrupted human beings. And then when you combine that with the knowledge that the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil, we become capable of the unthinkable. You know, at the heart of the decimation of the Native Americans in this country, and at the heart of the Negro slave trade in America, was the love of money. And because God has given us all a conscience, we have to do something to be able to live with ourselves when we are mistreating other people. We make them out to be inferior to ourselves and as lesser beings in the sight of God. We project onto them the worst qualities that we see in ourselves. And we give them names to degrade them. And we make laws to humiliate them. And you know something? It does not matter whether we write those laws on the pages of books as they did in the South with Jim Crow laws, or we allow them to be written on our hearts as they did in the North and West in this country. And by far the most difficult laws to change are the ones that are hidden in our hearts. You see, we can tear down statues, we can knock down monuments, but that doesn't do anything to what is still written on our hearts. The sins of racism and the love of money, they, they go together. We basically want to make sure that what we have, we get to keep. And we get to keep for us and for our children and for those just like us. We cannot allow those people to take what we have. Racism and prejudice are sins that keep revisiting us because of the messages we keep receiving from the culture around us. We can believe that because we have a friend of another race and we get along great together, that we have ceased to participate in racism and prejudice, and that's now somebody else's problem. I want you to know that it, it's a challenge to keep following Jesus. Because even when Jesus has done something great in our lives, we still are affected by what's going on around us. You see, the Apostle Peter... Great, great man of God. Peter became a bold follower of Jesus after the day of Pentecost. A great preacher of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And thousands of people began to believe in Christ because of Peter's preaching. Peter was from a Jewish background. Now, the Jews back there in the first century, they believed that they were God's chosen people. And that all the other people who were called Gentiles were unclean in the sight of God. They wouldn't even sit down and eat with these people. So even though Peter had been touched by Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, hidden in his heart, was prejudice against Gentiles. Peter would not eat with them, nor would he enter a Gentile's house. And yet, Peter was a child of God. You see, the family of God is much bigger than we think it is, and it includes people we would exclude because they don't agree with us politically or people who are politically incorrect. But you see, my friends, God knows that we are all in need of some grace and mercy. We just kind of need it in different areas of our lives. Just because this is their sin doesn't mean your sin is any more righteous before God. But one day God got around to dealing with Peter on this issue of racial prejudice. God gave Peter a vision three times. Uh, you can read about it in Acts 10. And he told Peter, stop calling Gentiles unclean. And God sent Peter to a Gentile's house. The man's name was Cornelius. And God had told Cornelius he was going to send Peter to his house. And Peter, he, he, he obeyed God and went to Cornelius' house. And when Peter got to Cornelius' house, the first thing he had to do was to humble himself and admit he had been wrong. He told Cornelius, now Cornelius, normally I would not have come to your house, but God showed me I was wrong with the views I've been holding. I am no better than you are in the eyes of God. You see, there is something about recognizing the same Heavenly Father that puts us on equal footing with each other. Why is it that the Jesus in me has such a difficult time loving the Jesus in you? It's because deep inside, we don't want it to happen. Because it means we might have to change. We might have to humble ourselves. We have, might have to admit, you know, I saw this from the wrong perspective. Well, when Peter got there, Peter preached the message to a group of Gentiles. And my goodness, there was a second Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit that had fallen on the Jews on the day of Pentecost fell on the Gentiles. And hallelujah, they began speaking in tongues. From that moment on, the church expanded to include people of all races and all nationalities. And Peter was so impressed by this. Peter did a massive baptismal service to welcome in these new brothers and sisters. Now there were some Christians from, from, from Jewish backgrounds who believed though that 
in order to really be saved, you got to be circumcised. And when they heard that Peter had gone to these Gentiles and preached to them and hadn't gotten circumcised, they, they, they started talking about it. And they were very displeased that Peter had gone to those people. But when Peter explained his vision, and he explained what God had said to him, and he told them how the Spirit of God fell down on them, just like they had fallen down on the Jews, they backed up. And they recognized, and they said, well, bless my britches. God is even welcoming in the Gentiles. Now, after this experience, you would have expected Peter to have dealt with racism and prejudice once and for all. After all, he and Cornelius were good friends. If he went to Joppa, he knew he could call on Cornelius to put him up for the night. They were tight like that. Peter could have gone back throughout Jerusalem doing talks on racial reconciliation because he had done it. But my friends, fast forward a few years and we find Peter in the city of Antioch. Now Antioch is a pretty good sized church and we know from Acts chapter 13 that it is a very diverse church. Antioch has people in it from Africa, from Asia, and from Europe. And the church is predominantly made up of Christians who are from a Gentile background. There are a few Christians from a Jewish background that are also a part of the church, but they are the minority. Well, Peter somehow, I don't know what he was doing there, but he was there in the church of Antioch, and he was acting uh, like believers act in the body of Christ. He's talking with his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's eating with them. They're having some good chicken and everything else together. They are learning the word of God together. And, and I mean, the body of Christ, just like you like to see it. But then, say but then. But then, a group of people showed up in Antioch from Jerusalem, where Peter was from. And this group of people, they... They looked like Peter. They had the same Jewish background as Peter. They had connections back in Jerusalem where Peter lived. And uh, when, when they got there, Antioch, Peter wanted to make a good impression on these guys. And he didn't want to do anything to offend them. And Peter knew these guys are not as liberated as I am when it comes to spending time with Gentiles and eating with them and going into their homes and just getting along with these other racial groups. So Peter has a choice he's got to make. He could either challenge them on the racist positions they held or he could distance himself from his sisters and brothers in Christ in Antioch, the Apostle Peter, the one who walked on water, the one who preached boldly to the Sanhedrin, 
The one who is ready to die for Christ, take a beating for Christ, was not willing to pay the Christ price to come follow Jesus at this moment. Instead of confronting his brothers from Jerusalem, he pulled away from eating with those in the church at Antioch. Hey, Peter, we got to see you for dinner tonight. Oh, man, I got to meet the Lord tonight. What about tomorrow? I think I'm busy then, too. When the other Jewish Christians saw what Peter was doing, they began to do the same thing. Hey, Fred, you coming over for the game? No, man, I can't watch the game tonight. Can you see how the body was beginning to be broken in their fellowship and the unity was being destroyed. You know, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, even Barnabas started acting a little funny toward his brothers and sisters in the Antioch. Peter was bringing a disunity to the body of Christ and he wasn't even aware of how dangerous his actions were. In his head, he was probably thinking, well, I just want the brothers from Jerusalem to be comfortable. Now, Paul tells us this whole story in Galatians chapter 2. And when Paul got to Antioch, Paul looked. And he looked. It didn't take him long to figure out what was happening. Paul said... Look here, when I got to Antioch, I confronted Peter to his face right in front of everybody. He basically said, how dare you act one way in front of one group of people and act another way in the presence of another group of people? In other words, You had no problem accepting the Gentiles and their culture as full brothers and sisters in Christ. And now because your friends come in from Jerusalem, you're telling them that that they're not good enough. They got to become Jewish in order to really know Christ. Why are you trying to make them second class citizens in the kingdom of God? Peter wanted... To follow Jesus. But he didn't want to make a break from his friends in Jerusalem. His friends, no doubt, were good moral people. But that didn't stop them from being prejudiced. And for some reason, Peter seemed afraid to challenge their views. My friends, let's let's look at how we got in Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't save us just to send us to heaven. We were saved in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance 
for us to do. We are supposed to be announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, that involves justice and it involves the love of God. We are called to work for justice. That's part of the work that God prepared for us to do in advance. Now, some of us are missing the point in thinking that waking, working for racial justice means that every church is going to be made up of every race. People will take the passage from Revelations that talks about at the throne of God, all tribes, all nations, all nationalities at the, are at the throne of God to say, this is what the church is supposed to look like. I want you to realize, when we talk about the body of Christ, this passage in Revelation is what the church already is and already does look like. We are already every nation, every tribe, every nationality. We're just spread out all over the earth. This is why we can't have an unchallenged nationalistic view of the world because what policies we have here may have been be inflicting injustice on our brothers and sisters in other nations. Jesus said, it is by our loving each other that the world will believe that the Father sent him. Every congregation is only a fragment of the body of Christ. Someone has said the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour on Sunday. You also need to realize that was said back in the 1960s when churches made it clear you are not welcome here. No church has to be afraid of this sign today unless they got a sign outside saying only certain people can enter our doors. That's when it becomes sinful. Most churches are going to predominantly be made up of one race. It has nothing to do with racism and prejudice. It simply has to do with geography. That does not make that church any more or less racist or prejudiced than multi-ethnic or multicultural congregations. The issue is... Are you believers, are the, you the believers in that congregation following the call of Christ for your church? And we like to talk about the homogeneous church as though each church is made up of a completely unified uh, group of people. But the reality is most churches are not. Most churches have people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ages, different political parties, and other things that separate us. But are we still able to share a common purpose in seeking to live for Jesus Christ? In your church, in my church, does the majority voice in the church seek to squash those who are different? Justice demands that we think what is best for each other of those groups and not think merely of ourselves. You know, a simple reading of James, the second chapter, reveals the bias that we often have in the church against the poor in favor of those who've got money and power. 
The purpose of the local church isn't to have a place we can say, come see our multiculturalness as proof that Jesus is the Son of God. The purpose of the church is to have a place to come to be equipped to go back out to do the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is to bring about justice in this world. We are to be the salt of the earth. But in order for salt to be any good, it's got to come into contact with something that needs some salt for it to be effective. You know, when you find yourself in a room, in a meeting, in a conversation with someone just like yourself, and that person or somebody else make a negative racial comment, what do you do? Do you laugh with everybody else? Do you call them on it? Do you say, I'm just going to keep quiet and not cause any trouble? When a vote is taken to pass a law that might benefit you, but it's going to negatively impact a different group of people who don't look like you, how are you going to vote? When a business decision or a policy decision is being made that you know is going to hurt another group, will you say anything to challenge it? When the pressure is on you, like it was on Peter, to go along with everybody else. Will you make the same choice as Peter made? Or will you stand for Jesus and risk losing a part of what you have? You see, another strange statement that Jesus made was, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and Two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What's Jesus talking about? He's letting us know if we follow Christ, when it comes to the sins hidden in our hearts, to get them out, we might find ourselves at odds with those who are closest to us. Racism and prejudice is not a battle we fight once and then it's over with. It's a struggle that we have to turn over to Jesus time and time again because it shows up in different ways on different days. And if we fail to admit that it's there, we've already lost the battle. You know, it's one thing to work alongside a co-worker of another race. It's another thing to move into a community where you are the only one. And then it's a whole different problem when your son or daughter wants to marry one of them. Our initial reaction lets us know what's really hiding in our hearts. How do we get out of this mess? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. It is only when we understand there is but one Father in heaven that we can see each other as true brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of what we look like on the outside. We must never forget it was the Father who created us with different races in mind. God did it with a specific intention of making the body of Christ as beautiful as it possibly can be. We can't afford as the church to allow the devil to rob us of the beauty that God wants us to have by ignoring the call to come follow Jesus in order to satisfy some desire back here in the world. We all have to admit, I'm part of the problem. And because I'm part of the problem, I can be part of the solution. Amen. Let's pray. God, we all need your mercy. We all need your grace. And we confess, we don't even know all that is lurking in our hearts. But you do. We pray that as we surrender ourselves to you, O oh God, you would come in. You would show us, it's time to deal with this. It's time to deal with that. Help us, O oh God, to be believers in Jesus Christ without any labels, without any tags, without anything in front of that. What are you? I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, for those who don't know you, show them that you love them, you've got a plan and a purpose for their lives, and you're eager to welcome them into the family of God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As Ivana leads us in singing the song, I surrender all. Ponder in your heart. What is it you need to surrender to God today? <laughs>